Welcome back to another edition of the Friday Podcast. Today I am joined by PGA Tour player Joel Damon. Uh, Joel lives down in Scottsdale, Arizona. He is from Washington originally and uh, has been on tour for a couple years amidst the best year of his career. Um, it's on pause right now, but he will be back out there as soon as golf is back out there. Uh, it was fun talking to Joel, uh, one of my favorite follows on Twitter of all the pro golfers. I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg, fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. <laughs> Hey, um, how good is Nick Taylor at Mario Kart? Uh, legit, no joke, like top 10 in the world. Um, he's a way better Mario Kart player than he is a PJ Tour player, by far. Um, you can look at, he this last week or something on his Twitter, he put out um, some of his lap times. Uh, and they're like, no one's even coming close. Like, it's it's unbelievable. So that's that's a legit claim that is a real thing the best in canada but yeah i mean i would be you know i mean obviously there's maybe somebody else out there who's been playing it for the last 25 years but um the amount of time that uh nick spent kevin spooner spent was our other roommate a college golfer um at uw and then myself i was a distant third uh among the three of us but i still have not met somebody who can beat me consistently in a race um so they, they have better drifting capabilities and they're better pure drivers, but um, I still have somebody who can beat me the way that I use items, the way that I understand kind of how to race. Um, it's just, I haven't, so Nick and Kevin are way better than I'll ever be. And I'm better than I've, I've never raced somebody who can touch me. It's funny how when you play with somebody that is like really good at something, like I, have a, I had a buddy who won a state title in tennis. And, mm-hmm. and uh, playing him in like paddle tennis and uh, ping pong growing up, we I would just get waxed. I couldn't even like sure. score points. But then you play somebody else, and you're like you just kill them. But when you right, play exactly, the yeah. guys that are really good, they just it's it's like demoralizing playing. People it really is. Yeah, games. we're. I mean, it's uh, it is remarkable. I know that Nick has kicked up. He actually uh, his place here in Scottsdale. He's you know he's been here for the last whatever two or three weeks, and he's. Um, moved he had to get an old tv that had the proper um av jacks to hook up the n64 and he moved it into the proper living room and he set it up and he has this whole thing just set up just for him him and his n64 so he's been putting time in for sure <laughs> he's getting in uh peak season for him yeah exactly now would be a bad time to race nick <laughs> um so you you what have you been doing with this huge break yeah you know i'm I'm pretty good at doing nothing, like one of the best at doing nothing. So this doesn't really bother me too much. I mean, obviously I want to be out there playing and competing, but um, it's great to be home. Uh, I got a great black lab. He's six years old named Murphy, who I hang out with all the time. Uh, He just dropped a ball at my feet, actually. So he wants to go outside and play. Uh, My wife is an unbelievable cook, so she's been cooking a ton. I've been doing puzzles, playing board games. have not unpacked my bag, so laundry hasn't really happened. Uh, I still have the bag from the Players' Championship in my room. Uh, travel bag is still in the back of the car, so I haven't really, uh, with the golf club, so I haven't done much of that either. But um, 
we have a nice backyard. We have a nice pool. I play darts, play cornhole. Um, kind of anything. I mean, I'm pretty good at sleeping too, so I do a lot of that. I feel like I, I call cornhole bags. I don't know. It's like yeah. a regional thing, but I think it's a regional thing. Yeah. I feel like golfers are like the best bags players in the world because it's, I feel like it's very similar to like pitching, hitting like a pitch shot almost. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I mean, yeah, you could definitely make that argument. I think that a lot of golfers are great at bar games or, um, you know, they don't have to be bar games necessarily, but, you know, other other little competitive games that don't require like running or jumping. I think golfers are some of the best athletes at it. I mean, it's the, you get ping pong or you get darts, you get um, bags or cornhole, you get little things like that. Pretty pretty tough bunch. Uh, you know, you, if you take the best golfers, man, I think we'd stack up pretty well across the board. A- anything that doesn't require like speed and athleticism. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Obviously, we can't we can't hold our own on any of those competitions, but uh, um, I would put you know if you took the ten best golfers and you put them against you know top ten of the other athletes in these um, smaller sports, I guess I would call them. Uh, maybe add a six pack of beer on the side. I think the golfers would be pretty darn good at it. Yeah, that's I I, I agree with that. Especially if the more beer you put in, in, involved in it, it's the better it gets. Yeah, I mean, I imagine. You know, you get a guy like Kisner or some of those guys. Um, I think Colt Nose can probably play. I know he's retired now, but uh, I imagine Gary Woodland with with the bags would be unbelievable. So um, you get you, you know, there are decent athletes out there, and uh, I mean, Rory's out there playing tennis, like he's ripping forehands down the line. I mean, that's pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, uh, I imagine it, as the skill of being good at doing nothing is actually probably pretty valuable as a tour pro because on the road. We do a lot of that. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's a misconception is that like you guys actually have a ton of time because you, you can't practice all day long. No, and rest and recovery is just as important as, um, you know, out, you know, when we're out there practicing all the time, as much as we travel, different hotel rooms, always eating out. Uh, stuff like that. You have to be really good at doing nothing, uh, whether that's Netflix. Um, some people spend more time working out, um, you know, whatever, spending time with your family. But it's like a lot of a lot of downtime. Um, you know, what if you have an afternoon tea time, then you have all morning do nothing. If you have a morning tea time and you're early off and you're done, you can't sleep all afternoon. So you got you got to do basically nothing, whatever that is. So. Um, yeah, some guys travel with video games on the road. Uh, some guys read some books, whatever it may be. But um, doing nothing is definitely a skill you need on the PJ Tour, especially when you take days off, like a Monday off. Um, do you prefer a certain draw? Do you like going morning, afternoon, or morning, afternoon, or afternoon, morning? I like late, early. So I like going off, yeah, in the afternoon on Thursday um, and waking up and just playing again quickly Friday, I think. Uh, the golf course changes less in that time period. If you play early Thursday and late Friday, golf course can change a ton in that 24 hours. Um, it tends to get, well, can get firm and fast on Friday afternoon, um, where Thursday morning is typically the easiest time of the golf course. Um, you know, everything is still kind of wet and slow. And um, But also, if you play well Thursday afternoon, all you do is you go home, eat, wake up, and play again. So there's not a lot of time to think about it. You're in a good rhythm still most of the time. And um, I like posting early Friday because then you go out later Saturday as well. 
Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I'd be really curious. I guess the data is out there somewhere, but it'd be really interesting to see what my splits are um, on the waves and see which one I actually could play better on. Because I feel like I play better late, early, but maybe that's not the case at all. I think that's the better one, too, because like you said, if you play well, you're just basically continuing the round. Like there's nothing mm-hmm. better than just getting to keep going when you're playing well. You know, versus absolutely. Having, yeah. The more time you have to think about it, the worse golf usually goes. Um, so, it, it, any uh, any hobbies that you picked up while you're while you've been doing that? You said puzzles. Anything? Yeah. Else? So, um, the we've been quarantining with the Harkins. Brandon Harkins played on tour for a couple of years, and um, uh, he lives just up the road. So, uh, the only people we've been seeing is uh, Brandon and his wife Rachel. They puzzle like crazy. I also play a lot of dominoes. Um, that's a game we just picked up. Uh, my wife and I, they've been playing you know, their whole lives. So it was kind of a family game for them, but we've been playing dominoes. Um, that's been fun. It's requires very light. No, so we've been coordinating with the Harkins and um, playing dominoes. So that's that's a fun way. Puzzle, there's one right next to me. Um, it is a kind of uh, every city, every major city in every state. So that's kind of fun. It's a great way to pass the time. Um, digging into a couple of bottles of wine um, has been has been nice. We've we've kind of gathered a large wine collection over the last couple of years and don't drink it a ton. Uh, so we've been kind of digging into that. And um, I've been reading a couple of books. Uh, um, Ryan Holiday, which actually Rory kind of made famous this last year. I actually read The Ego is the Enemy prior to that and The Obstacle is the Way. Those are two books that are pretty popular. Um, revisit some of those and, um, uh, I can watch Netflix with anybody, man. I can crush Netflix. So that and between social media and just wasting time, um, pretty well, standard. What, what are your Netflix recommendations? Everybody's uh, looking well, for a good one. Well, Tiger King is obviously, uh, popular. Everyone's probably watched that at this point. Um, I think we're going to start Ozark soon. Uh, we watched my wife. It's just garbage, garbage TV, but it's called the circle. Oh, my wife was into that too. I couldn't, I could, I could only do it in small doses. Dude, it is so bad, but it was like, I was looking at kind of on the competitive aspect. They're trying to win the game. They're trying to kind of catfish each other, whatever the whole deal was. So that one for me, like got kind of got me hooked and I just hate that crap, but, uh, it was, it was pretty funny. Um, what else we watch on Netflix recently? Huh? No. Um, what else? Yeah, man, you can, I like any documentaries, um, anything. Uh, I'm a big murder mystery guy. So anything along those lines, Mindhunter is a good one that we watched recently. Um, yeah, anything documentary I'm yeah. pretty big into. That's, uh, they, they got the Bulls, uh, Bulls doc coming up. The Jordan. Doc. Yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. That's coming out, what, in two weeks, I think? Yeah. 10 yeah. days, something like that. Yeah, that's something I'm excited about for sure. It's going to be tough uh, for a Supersonics fan to relive. I know. It's, uh, it was just on the MLB network uh, yesterday. I had the 95 Mariners when he came back from 02 on the Yankees in the divisional round. So that was fun to, to watch that game five. Um, was it, yeah, it was the, a big the, unit pitch that game, right? Well, he came in relief. So he pitched game four and then he came back on one day rest uh and pitch like three or four he actually didn't pitch that great he gave up uh he gave up a run in the 11th but that's when edgar hit the double down the line um so yeah with that but then uh 
the 96 Sonics, man, we were so good with Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, uh, Detlef Shrimp, um, Percy Hawkins. We had a crew, Nate McMillan. So we were good. I mean, we were good. Sam Perkins, probably too. Sam, yeah, yeah. He was our center of the Big Easy. Um, yeah, we had every, I mean, that was our year. I mean, obviously, you know, Jordan's beating everybody at that time and I couldn't lose in the final. So it was a little disappointing. I mean, I was still young at the time, but I remember vividly uh, the uh, good years of the Sonics. Yeah, I got so spoiled uh, as a kid because I had the Bulls when uh, I think we're around the same age. So it's like I grew up with, you know, watching the NBA and the Bulls and they win every single year. And it's just like, you know, you know I think we're paying for it now as Chicago fans. We, we, we haven't had the best run of sports. But, uh, yeah, certainly. But, uh, yeah, the year with, with Jordan, I mean, what he went 92, three, four took a year off or 90, 91, 92, one, 93. Yeah. And then, and then came back 96, 97, 98. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty yeah. Nice. I was like a sneaky, um, Utah jazz fan. I know it's probably not allowed, but, um, uh, being a Sonics fan, but I was a huge fan of Stockton. Uh, he was a Spokane guy and I grew up not far from him. So, um, you know, they, they couldn't take down, uh, Jordan the Bulls. So uh, I'm excited for that documentary. That'll be fun. And it'll, you know, hopefully give everybody a little bit of hope during this crazy time. Hey, uh, so talk about growing up in eastern Washington. It's not exactly a uh, hotbed for PGA Tour no. or, or golfers in general. Yeah. Uh, sneaky amount of guys, actually. So Kirk Triplett was from, went to high school in Pullman, Washington. Fellow uh, bucket third- hat guy. Yeah, and then he went to University of Nevada, Reno, and obviously had a pretty successful career for geez, years now, 30 years probably out there. But um, he was there. Alex Prue is from Spokane. He was a couple years older than me, but uh, was a guy. Um, and then, you know, quite a few guys from the Seattle area through the years. But um, where I grew up was uh, two hours south of Spokane, five hours east of Boise, and five hours Sorry, five hours north of Boise and five hours east of Seattle. So pocket in the southeast corner of the state on the Snake River. It was the lowest spot in Idaho. It was Lewis in Idaho. And then we were at, you know, only six or 700 feet. So could play golf year round. Um, maybe a week off of snow, but not much. Uh, fun, fun place to grow up with the outdoors, fishing, hunting, did all sorts of stuff on the river, skiing and, and jet skiing and, um, so it was a great spot. I had a little country club I grew up on that was a hundred bucks a month as a family of four to join. And we drove a, drove my um, golf cart down there, uh, played almost every day in the summer. And, uh, it was just kind of what we did, but, um, certainly, certainly a small town and, um, not a whole lot of, not a whole lot going on there, which is probably good for a kid growing up. You probably had going to junior tournaments. You were always having to travel a ton for that stuff, right? Exactly. So my mom was a school teacher, uh, so she had summers off, and we would hop in the minivan and we would drive. Almost every event was in Spokane for for a lot of the beginning of the year, and then the bigger tournaments were always in Seattle. So two hours, we drive up in the morning, play, come back in the evening, and then Seattle. Yeah, we'd have to make the five hour trek over there often for every type of state tournament or qualifiers or anything that was, you know, bigger than a regional deal. Um, we did, we did a lot of, of traveling in the minivans for a long time. Uh, not to bring up a, a sore subject, but you know, I, I'll, I'll relate. I flunked out of college. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> and, uh, and you, it obviously it, 
it completely changed my life. Like it was like a moment in time where at a, you know, relative young age, I kind of had a like wake up moment where it's like, what the, what the hell are you doing? I, did you went through something just like that? How did it kind of change the way you approach golf and in life in general? Yeah, it's, um, I was from a small town, you know, I had 10,000 people in my town and I was a big fish in small pond and had a lot of people looking out for me. And as soon as I went to UW over in Seattle, um, I was just another human on a massive campus in a huge city. And I was not ready for that. I, um, you know, I was struggling with the passing of my mother. I lost my mom a year and a half prior. Uh, so I was just a lost kid who kind of took everything for granted. And, um, I really enjoyed the social time at, at UW. Uh, I was pretty good at that. I was, a, I was a coordinator for a lot of my friends, made sure that we all had fun on the weekends. And for me, it was sometimes midweek as well. Um, I was plenty smart. Like I didn't have any problem with, I just didn't really go to class. I didn't think I needed to go to class. I thought it was this cool athlete who could just play golf. I was starting as a freshman and doing just fine. And, um, didn't really heed into the warnings that were coming along the way either. And um, before I knew it, I was out of school and, you know, I had every opportunity to come back. I could go get my grades up at a local college and tried that for a bit. And I just really had no interest in school and had no interest in really doing anything in life. Really. I wasn't even really playing golf. I was just kind of hanging out and being a lazy bum. So um, after the money ran out, which didn't take very long, I was a little bit of a wake up call of what the heck am I going to do with my life? And, you know, you, I could go back to school, but that didn't seem very fun or I could try this golf thing out. And so I rounded up some money and, uh, tried, well, I didn't want a job. So I tried pretty hard and, uh, luckily it all worked out for me in the end, but man, that 18 to 20, 21, 22, I was, a, I was, wasn't doing much productive in my life. I had kind of the same thing. It wasn't like the school that was the problem. It was like getting to school. That was the problem. Yeah, exactly. And you yeah. just like, that's why, you know, I ended up going back, but that's why I always tell people, it's like, all you have to do is go to class in college. If you go to class, it's impossible to not like pass. Yeah. If you just turn, if you go to class, you just turn in the stuff you're supposed to turn in, no matter how crappy it is, they're going to get you out of there. Yeah. Um, I was, I remember it was my first thing and whatever, three weeks in, we had to turn in like a 10 page, 10 page paper and, I had never written anything like that in my life and I had no idea what it was doing. Obviously we have tutors to help us and we had all the help we could get. I just, just figured out oh, whatever in high school, I could kind of get by the teachers liked me and you know, I could scribble something down and get by. But uh, college, you just have to show up and do a little bit of work and uh, they give anybody a degree if you get out of there, but you just have to put in your time. And I wasn't willing to do that. That's for sure. Do, do you think that, um, you, you, you went through this period where you weren't doing much, you were, you're hanging out, right? You know, partying and everything. And that then when you were a young pro trying to make it, it actually helped you because you had already like gotten some stuff out of your system. Uh, yes and no. So it helped me be able to compete at a high level while still partying was the problem. <laughs> uh, uh, my sponsor was incredible, uh, for many years. He, always funded whatever you know i was good enough at golf to kind of keep it afloat for a couple of years and played on the the canadian tour and did fine up there and played played pretty well in the mini tours everywhere i went state opens and stuff but um i didn't take it 
I mean, the money, I had my bills paid and I had enough money to have some beers at the same time. So um, it wasn't until the guys I was better than around me for a couple years were moving onto the web tour um, and onto the PJ tour. And I'm like, whoa, wait, I'm better than you. Like, why are you out there? And I'm not. So it took a couple years before a wake up call happened. Um, you know, cancer from being diagnosed with cancer helped with that as well. That was a little mm-hmm. like, hey, dude, uh, maybe you should probably take this more seriously and not waste the opportunity that you have. You know, you don't know how long the opportunities or the window of golf is going to stay open. So um, it was a little combo of everything, but um, certainly really started, I guess, trying really hard in, in 12 and, um, you know, get working with a swing instructor and doing everything that way. And, um, you know, since then, I've been on a steady, steady rise, I guess. You kind of lived a lot of life early in life, you know, in a way. Certainly, the, yeah. Between everything. Um, with that rise, obviously, what going from mini tours, Canada, web tour, PGA tour, did you feel like what's the difference at each level, I guess, and and how you felt? Does it take did it take time to acclimate and and really start to feel comfortable at each level, or did it you know were there you know did you always feel comfortable at a certain level, and there was a moment where you know you had to you felt like you had to adjust. Yeah, well, I always felt comfortable on the Canadian tour. I just wasn't super sharp. I had to, you know, just get a little bit better at everything kind of a deal. I always hit the ball okay. I chipped and puttered okay. But um, Canada was just kind of just sticking to it and, you know, grinding it out a little bit and, and staying patient up there, which is hard to do. But um felt okay on the web tour. Um uh, now the corn fairy tour i guess but i did okay out there first year hung around i didn't feel overwhelmed because there wasn't you weren't playing with like your childhood heroes you weren't just playing with the guys you saw on tv all the time it was just kind of a you know show up and play the event and hopefully you do okay and um i did find out there but as soon as i got to the pj tour i was uh kind of in shell shock i was wide-eyed and bushy-tailed and didn't really know if i belonged or not i don't it took a long time the rookie year i had no no sense of belonging i didn't think i was good enough um, only got to play in 16 events because I was playing poorly and then you know the, the numbers didn't work out for me very well then um, luckily got my card back through the web tour finals so I got another crack at it and started to show some promise on a little bit better golf and got more comfortable out there and about halfway through the year I started picking it up a little bit um, and feeling like I could compete and then I went on a nice run in the summer of you know, I finished fifth and then second and then I get another top 10 the week after that. So it was like a really good run that let me know that I could compete out there and, and hang around for a long time. And uh, what I had was good enough. So, I mean, it probably took me 30 events before I felt OK on the PJ Tour. Like I should be out here week in, week out. I can compete, um, you know, with, with most of these guys. And then, uh, you know, getting better a little bit, too, helps. Um, but. For me, it was it was 30 events. It was a year and a half before I felt okay out there about actually showing up to events, knowing I could compete, knowing that I could be out here a while and to get comfortable with it. And I imagine at every level you're you're seeing people like your peers that you've played with your entire life, and then it becomes smaller and smaller every way, every step up, and then to the, you get Certainly. to the PGA Tour, and there's so few of them around. It's so exactly so few familiar faces. Uh, being you had your status when you came on, you were number twenty five on the on the web money list, mm-hmm. um, and so that gave you just a spot where you just didn't. 
how hard was it not knowing when you were going to play even? Yeah, that was really tough. And the year that I came in, so I came in the fall of 16 was my rookie year and the numbers were absolutely, for whatever reason, I don't know exactly why, but I, nobody on the web was getting any starts and I definitely wasn't. So I only played two events in the fall. I got into, um, my rookie year, I got into Sanderson Farms, which is a half point event, and I got into RSM, uh, Sea Island. So it's two events in the fall. I missed both cuts. I only got in two events on the West Coast. I got into Palm Springs on a sponsor invite because um, they had to give the last of the, the Corn Ferry guys a spot. So I got there, and I got into Pebble Beach, which everyone gets into because it's a big field of three courses. And you're playing so with I was, a celebrity. That's like a, yeah, you're, yeah, exactly. So I exactly I played in two prime. So four events through the West Coast swing, and I had I made a cut at Pebble, but I finished like last. So through like February, and then I didn't. So I was bottom of the web list because I started at the bottom, made one cut, and then I didn't get anything in Florida. That's another four weeks off, and I finally got into Puerto Rico, um, which is a half point event again, and I think I got into Valero maybe. So. I had like six events through like March, uh, which is just brutal. And when you only made one cut. So uh, by the time I could actually start playing, I didn't play back to back weeks on tour until after the U.S. Open, um, it's, which is people don't realize that from the outside. Like if you don't play well in the fall on that web out of that Corn Ferry membership, like you can drop a long ways or you can rise a long ways. It gets you in a ton of events where uh, it's too bad that, I don't know what the answer is. I'm not smart enough to figure out what the answer is. You get more playing opportunities, but if you get behind the eight ball early, it is really tough to get out of it. Yeah, and then and then you you're it's it's mid June or late June, and you're so far down. You got so much pressure every time you make make a start. It's like I better play really well. I got to mm-hmm. I've got to get 350 FedEx Cup points and right exactly five eight eight ten starts. Ooh. It's uh, I mean, it's interesting because you've got all these like. It's, You've got past champion statuses that pull in and you've got the medicals and, you know, I know like this year that we saw fields that had like 18 medical guys in them. And it, and it's even, you know, you're even got guys with full status that are having trouble getting into events, you know, and it, it's a, it's an interesting situation because you just have, there are so many guys with some sort of status. Yeah, I don't know how many actually categories there are on the PJ Tour, like exemption or whatever, but there's a ton. Um, I don't know if there's too many. I don't know how to make it more fair. I don't know how to get my more guys more starts. Um, but it's not easy. Uh, and the answer is play better. But what if everybody plays better? Mm-hmm. Then that's un- it's still unfair to somebody. So. Um, I wish I knew the answer. If you made fields bigger, if you, cause you know, you have daylight for daylight problems for, for half the time. So you go to two courses on some events. Um, it's tough. Uh, it's, it's a lot harder. Once you can keep, it's harder to keep your card. It's harder to get on the tour than it is to keep your card, but it's even harder to keep your card the first year. Once you can do that, then you can set your schedule a little bit and you already know what you're doing and you can, kind of plan it around and, and be okay. It's the hardest thing in the world as a rookie to keep your card. And then if you win, it's really hard to lose your card. Oh, yeah. Then you get into uh, you get into all the invites. You get into some bigger stuff. I call it the PGA Tour and the PGB Tour. Um, 
the PGA Tour is top 50 in the world where you get in all the majors, you get into the WGCs. Um, I mean, that is really you, – once you get in the top 50, it's hard to drop out of the top 50. Um, you can cruise and hang in there for a long time. Uh, now it's really hard to crack that top 20. you got to be really golfing your ball. But you see a lot of guys hanging between 30 and 50 for a long time. Um, you know, and that's, it's just hard. The, the other thing is, if you're a guy like me who's a journeyman, if you, I have the divisor of the world rankings, I don't really know how it works, but I have 50, we're always playing every event we can to keep our status and to keep going. So now our divisor's fully maxed out, where maybe there's some guy who only has 40 events on there. So he's advising by less events and he gets more points per event. Yeah. Um, and, his and, floor, then, oh. and, his, and he has a floor in some of those events. Like, say he's a, a guy that plays the hero and, like, automatically gets the equivalent of a top 15 in a, in a, in a regular event. Right, which is easy to bitch and moan about when you're on the outside. But if I get there, as soon as I get there, I'm like, yeah, this is great. This is totally <laughs> fair. And you are making all the money and you're doing whatever you want and you're satisfying contracts. And, like, I get it. It's... I don't, I don't know how to change the system. I know the tour is working on revising the world ranking system to make it more PJ Tour heavy or, um, I guess, more equals what they're trying to do. There's a lot of guys maybe who play other tours who are getting more points in some events that maybe just don't quite add up. Um, I know that's kind of been a, an off and on squabble. It's kind of fun to see on social media when somebody calls out a Euro Tour player, a guy from, you know, plays the Japan Tour or something like that. But, uh, I always enjoy those. Uh, I don't know, you know, how I'm not smart enough. I'm not the expert, but I know that, like, for here's a great instance. Is Nick Taylor won the Pebble Beach invite this, whatever, a couple months ago. He was ranked, like, 250th in the world, and he kept his card for five previous seasons on the tour with one win. Mm-hmm. Like, man, that's pretty hard to do. He wasn't like lighting it up every week, you know, and he would maybe finish one, you know, around 100 to 125 for a couple of those years. But man, I'd be hard pressed if some guy was more consistent than that over five years. He was all the way down to 250 in the world. So, um, little things like that where I think that hopefully they fix it and maybe make it more fair is not the right word, but maybe, um, better for a guy like me. <laughs> so, this is a question I always think about this a ton is, as a player, do you admire your peers that are seemingly always in the mix but win very little, or the guys that you know win a lot when they but they aren't necessarily they're guys that kind of pop up and win, but then they're you know they might miss some cuts and. So it's weird how the PJ Tour works out. So it doesn't actually give you um, bonuses for being consistent. Like, if you just finish consistently 15th to 20th, it really doesn't get you that far on tour. You need, like, top fives. Top tens are good, but you really need, like, top fives, and wins are obviously through the roof, or even that top two or three. So I, I think it's really impressive to have, like, 10 top 25s in a year. Um, or if you have, like, seven or eight top tens in a year, is awesome. But maybe you don't crack it. You know, it's, it's really hard to win. It takes some luck, um, you know it takes a bounce here or there. You got to make a putt at the right time. And sometimes it just doesn't happen. And you can't, the harder you push for that, you know, more you can't necessarily try and win a golf term, I guess. Um, so I'm impressed with guys who are consistent, who really week in and week out are around. They play tough courses. Well, um, 
those guys who can kind of play any golf course in any condition are, are more impressive to me than maybe a guy who wins like two twice a year wins like once a year all the time but just kind of never it's like either he's hot or he's cold i think it's more impressive to play a good golf week in and week out uh, but the tour doesn't really reward that yeah i i, I always think about like louis stays in with him and majors he's he's people are always going to look he's gonna be like oh no pga tour wins only one major win you know 10 wins around the world but you think about like the last 12 years of majors he's been a factor in probably 12 to 15 major championships where like, yeah, he's finished second in every one hasn't he and second yeah. at the players as well like and it's like if a bounce goes one way or another way or putt falls, he's gonna he might have three majors. You know, it's just a right. crazy thing about golf is, especially now we have this break. Like you know, you, I feel like everybody in golf media, including myself, has been looking back at like historic tournaments, and it's, you just start to see these guys that pop up all the time, and you're like, you know, this guy's got this many wins, but. This guy was way more present in what in in more big events and more big moments at, at time. You you played your first majors of your career last year. Uh, what mm -hmm. what was that like compared to your regular tour event? Uh, I'll say the Open Championship was the coolest event I've ever played in by miles. Um, the vibe over there um, shouldn't say the vibe um, the. The, the the feelings over there, the crowds we had on Tuesday, Wednesday, um, we flew in, got there Monday afternoon, you know, kind of unpacked and went out for like a late nine holes. And the sun was up at like 1030. We're playing the 18th hole. It was back at Northern Ireland for the first time in 50 or 60 years at an incredible golf course. Like for me, that was my first time ever crossing the Atlantic. I'd never been over there before. So like it was this like mystical, magical amazing experience i didn't play very well but i think i was just too caught up in having fun like i had a i had a four iron to like 40 feet on a tough hole and they all clapped like it was awesome i'm like oh yeah you guys appreciate this where you like stuff a three wood on a par five on tour and no one cares it's like sweet um so like that experience for me was incredible um there's more people like beth page was fine there's a lot of people out there and it's a big tournament but like when you're cruising around in 30th and I think I eventually finished, I shot a million on Sunday, but um, it's just a, more people around. I didn't feel like the PJ was all that special, which it's probably terrible of me to say, but like the players to me is bigger than the PGA, but um, the U S open at Pebble was awesome, but I feel like they didn't let that many fans in compared to what they could have. Maybe um, logistics was kind of a pain in the ass around Pebble because just such a tight area. Like I rented a house not far from the, I mean, like I do every year for AT&T and it took me an hour to get to the golf course. Like Spieth, Greller, Snedeker all had to hop out of their cars, jump a fence into the property of the golf course, catch a shuttle to get to where I was going. I only had, when I got to the golf course, I only had 30 minutes to warm up on my first round. Cause I was so like a bus had like rail, like crashed or something like on the only route into the golf course. And it was a mess. So that, but Pebble Beach is my favorite place on earth um, for golf. And I think it's just, I mean, and we had perfect weather that week for, for most of the week. But um, I just felt like the US Open would be, it was my first one. I was so happy to, but I just felt like it'd be bigger and not necessarily better. Like everything's good about it, but I just felt like it'd be more, uh, I would have more feelings all the way around the golf course, the way I had feelings at the Open Championship all the way around the golf course. 
did was that it sounds like so like the open was that you, you played in one USAM uh was that like when you played in the USAM uh, when you were a kid like i i i feel like that would that would be like an elevated experience almost absolutely yeah it was yeah by far i mean for a kid who only really played on the west coast um yeah to play at pinehurst in 08 in the usam um it was it, you felt like you know it was hitting pro v's on the way it felt like a you know a very uh big time event which it, it is you know i think it's still super prestigious i think it's one of my favorite events um to especially to watch now but um they do an unbelievable job with that the history of it too um is great and i feel like the open championship has more of that feeling than um certainly some of the majors over here uh with uh with the Lynx golf and playing the open did you did you like the style of golf what did it was it did it feel different and you know than your regular tour tour golf yeah of course i mean most of the time here in the states we're just flying it to a number and it kind of stays around that number um i love when the ball bounces um the runoffs around the green, you can hit so many different shots around the greens. You can putt it or hybrid it or, um, you know, sometimes over there, there was enough room and the greens were soft enough where you could fly it around the greens and spin it a little bit. But um, the wind's blowing different angles all the time. Um, there's just so many different options over there, which is, is awesome. I think it's, um, I don't know if it necessarily fits my golf the best, but uh I have a blast. I have a blast thing. You have to think around. You have to think on every shot over there. Where Where's this ball going to run? Can it run into the bunker? Because um, sometimes if you hit in a bunker over there, you you just have to wedge it out. So um, I had a blast with it. I hope, unfortunately, I think it just got canceled. That's what yeah. it sounds like. And I just qualified for it again this year, which I was super excited for. So um, I'm hoping I can get over there and play, play some more golf. Uh, if I continue to play well here in the States, I maybe get over there for two or three more events a year and i would really enjoy that yeah doing like that the scottish open before getting yeah exactly you could do like this the scottish and the irish or something like that and play the british as well it'd be a really fun couple weeks over there for sure Uh, talk about you know the difference when you're you you talked about how you're like at the pga you're just plotting along uh and you know in 30th and the difference inside the rope feel at when you're when that's going on versus when you're you know contending like you had a really good week at at the players last year yeah um well no one's really at beth page last year i think yeah it was probably like if i had a good round on sunday i think i you know maybe i shoot even i could have moved up to like the top 20 or something like that so it would have been nice but um yeah it just I don't know. You feel like you have to play perfect golf in that situation. For me at Bethpage last year, I could miss a fairway because then I'd have to chip it out. There's no way I could advance it towards the green. Um, I feel like it was just like continually just beat the crap out of you for four days. And um, it was certainly favored towards bombers that week. And I'm definitely not a bomber. And there was just no way around it. Uh, The way, you know, the rains came in, unfortunately, it was wet. Um, It was cold. It was just a kind of a bad combo for my golf game that week where, uh, and you're plodding along out there and you're like, I don't know. There's no, you don't have the juices going where at Sawgrass, you always feel like you can make a birdie or you can get it going. Um, you know, and there's, there's fans out there watching. I played with Jim Furyk on Sunday at the players week shot 64, five. I don't know which, maybe even 63, uh, you know, to only lose by one. And it was incredible 
you know, it's kind of his home event. He's been a, a, a resident of that area for a long time. So that was incredible to watch him and be a part of that. Um, it's neat, too, because Rory wins that. And Furyk, who's probably the, one of the shortest hitters on tour, finishes second. And at, at Bethpage, it was, I did a, a podcast with uh, Jeff Ogilvie before. And he was like, listen, somebody, whoever's going to win here is going to be one of the guys that flies at 300. Because if you don't fly yep. at 300 at Bethpage, you don't have a chance. And I think that's one of the, you hit on it a little bit with Lynx golf is on, on those types of courses, anybody, any type of player can excel because you can use your advantages. And the same thing for Sawgrass where you can win. Power's still obviously a huge advantage. Being able to hit at 310 is always an advantage wherever you play. But it also allows people that don't carry it 300 yards to have a chance. Absolutely, and I, I love that. Um, where I gain, I think I'm like top 25 right now in driving, strokes and driving, and i very average in length because courses like that where like a lot of guys have to hit a two-iron off the tee or lay I'm going to hit my driver down there because I hit it straighter and I can get it down there further than a lot of guys where you know it pinches in for them but I'm still going to run it down there past them where they have to hit hybrid off the tee or something like that um, but sawgrass makes you think all the time especially in the green you have to hit it in the right spots and all the par fives are reachable but there's trouble around them which I think is awesome uh, instead of just you know they're pretty generous off the tee for the most part and then you have to make sure you position it properly in the second shot you have to miss on the correct side have a chance of getting up and down because if you don't you're not getting up and down at sawgrass which i think is great and that's why uh, anybody can win there i mean look through the years of who's won it's been you know fred punk won at what 49 or something like that like that's just incredible um yeah it's a perfect i think sawgrass is one of the best golf courses to play because anybody can win um you know you've seen craig perks has won there and um you know and tiger woods and the best of all time have always have won there so i think it's especially when it plays it gets a little firm um that would be perfect uh if you have good weather that week and a little bit of wind it would just play unbelievable that week and i think that's why british open i don't say sometimes you get a fluke winner but um you know you get guys who can hang around leaderboard for a long time and plot their way around if they're playing the correct type of golf what what are some of your other favorite courses that you guys play i'm a big fan of colonial um it's fun. It's tree lined. Greens are tiny, uh, so you have to you have to be pretty precise in the greens there as well. Um, you can't really overpower. So the part with that is everyone hits it kind of the same spots in the fairways, no matter what club you're hitting off the tee. But um, Hilton Head's always fun. Uh, I mean, I think DJ was leading through 54 holes there last year, so like a you know a bomber can play there versus CT Pan, who's a you know kind of a short guy who ended up winning. Um, Anybody can compete. I like uh, Travelers is a great golf course, I think. Um, can, you know, everybody can kind of compete. Valspar is one of my favorites in Tampa, especially when it gets firm and fast. I think 8-under, 7-under won last year. Um, I think those are a ton of Riv is – I didn't think I could compete at Riv, um, but it got firm and the sun came out and the wind blew, and that made it awesome because – you had to play the bounce a little bit. You had to control your golf ball on the green. You couldn't just fly it to wherever. So it's a long golf course for me. Um, but when the ball starts running out, then you can play the bounce and you have to control your trajectory a little bit better and and uh, and really fit it around the golf course, which makes it a lot more fun uh, versus just bombing it. And, you know, hopefully you 
bombing again. So um, some of those are really fun. I like anything that bounces a little bit. Um, Valero is actually not a bad golf course either. I don't think it's a bad rap, but um, if it bounces a little, if, it, if the wind blows at Valero, it's a good golf course. Yeah, that I, I feel like you get some of the craziest weather at Valero. Like there's oh some... yeah, you'll get it all absolutely for sure. So I mean, you'll get some massive hailstorms, and you feel like tornadoes coming, and then you know, I think last year it was beautiful and like 85 all week. So it's a little bit of mix of everything. Yeah, the, the uh, that course you can make big numbers too with that shit all around it, all all over the place. Yeah, like, they're least... doing a better job of clearing that out too, so it's a little more playable than it has been in the past. But yeah, if you're not driving it well, then you're going to shoot a million. Yeah. So, what are your your best friends growing up? Is is your caddy Gino? Yeah, he's, he's getting he's getting quite the rep on on social media. The icon. Yeah, it's it's pretty funny. I mean, it's it's an outlet for him just to kind of be himself. And, uh, he's, he's a goofball. He has a ton of fun. He comes up with crazy ideas all the time. And, uh, most of the time he just throws them out there for the world and they think it's pretty funny. So, um, we're like, he grew up, he's four years older than me, but he grew up on the Lewiston side of the river, the Idaho side of the river, I should say in Lewiston. And uh, he was a good player. As they say on TV, he was a good player in his own right. Uh, he, he went, he got his PGM degree, uh, or yeah. That's right. Yeah. Professional golf management. And he went to, uh, worked in Sahali for a bit in Seattle and realized he didn't like folding shirts and didn't get to play as much as he liked. And so he went and got a desk job back home and, um, his wife ended up getting a pretty good job. And when I got out on the web tour, he's like, Hey, I'm going to come caddy for you. And I'm like, you are crazy. Cause you don't make any money. Uh, you know, I have no idea how good I am out here. I don't know what's going to go on. And so he stuck by me by my side. We're on our year six and, uh, it's been really fun to have him out there. It's nice to have a guy who um, cares about me uh, more than just, you know, the golf shots I hit. Um, he actually married my wife and I last December. So that was a lot of fun to have him uh, to be a part of that. And um, just been a, a super great guy who's who cares about me a lot. And I'm lucky to have him. And he does a great job on the bag as well. I mean, he's not just a, he's not just a funny guy. He actually can add him, subtract some numbers for me, too. I I it, I mean being a good player probably helps too, and having known you for a long time helps because he knows your game. Um, and obviously, any caddy when you carry for somebody for a long time, you're going to know their game. But I imagine that uh, it it's really nice having somebody that you can talk to about anything, you know, from like per because it's like you know if you if it's just a strictly a work relationship, then it, it's hard to. Ha- get your mind off things when a round's going one way. Absolutely. And he's, I mean, we come up with everything to talk about. I mean, very, not often are we talking about golf out there um, unless we have to be. So just nice. You know, he's, uh, he's super close to my wife. Um, we have a lot, you know, all of our friends are kind of the same. So we, we really enjoy um, chit chatting about that. But yeah, it's, it's nice because he, he knows how I'm feeling. Like I don't have, we don't have to talk about it. He can kind of tell about how I'm feeling and, and which way we're going to go. And um, under the gun, like he can, it kind of lets me go a little bit more. It doesn't hold the reins as much, which is always nice. And um, just a nice. It's great to have your friend on the bag when you know. Sometimes you shoot eighty and you can laugh about it, and other times when you're trying to win a golf tournament, it's really nice to look next to you and know the guys have as much fun as you are. And um, you know, you kind of are in this together and. Um, 
just yeah, I, I don't think I could do it with a business relationship. I would always need a friend out here because you spend so much time with them. You spend, you know, six to eight hours a day, four or five days a week, and that's more than I spend with my wife when I'm on the road. So um, you need a guy you get along with, a guy you're gonna have fun with, a guy you keep it light and fresh. Um, I know a lot of times it's easy for it to get stale, and that's why you see a lot of guys break up after a year or two or three years. It's just like, man, I just need something new because we've talked about everything we could and. Um, we FaceTime each other almost every day during this quarantine of what he's doing, what how his family's doing, what his kid's doing. So, um, like yesterday, he played left-handed, uh, tried to – he I set a line at 110, and uh, he played left-handed. He shot 106, so he, he snipped me there. And we always make little bets back and forth on everything we do. So it's it's a lot of fun. Do you, As a player, I always have wondered, do you ever, like, when you're standing over a putt or a shot, have, do you ever think, like, uh, if I do this, he's going to make a lot more money than if I do this. Is that like, I always, wonder, well, like, we, we talk about it because, yeah, I don't know if you're in business mode, you probably wouldn't talk about it, but we talk about it all the time. I, I give him, I tell him he gets paid way too much. <laughs> uh, I go, dude, you have the easiest job in the world. You get to hang out with your best friend and I'm a cool guy. You get paid a ton of money because we're playing well. And I go, I don't, I hardly ever practice. Like, I don't, I'm not going to the range after the round. I'm not, you know, keeping him there. He gets to play golf two or three times a week because I don't make him do anything else. So he's got to put up with, uh, I don't know if my snark, but he's, he's got to put up with me on the golf course. And, uh, yeah, we talk all the time. I'm like, hey, what's his putt worth? He's like, it's probably worth like 50 grand. I'm like, that means you get like four of it? Like, this, this is disgusting. This is like, this is paying for your house for like five months if this goes in. He laughs and, we have a good time about it. And like, you know, it's easier when things are going well, but, uh, the first two years on the web, the first year on the web, he lost money. Um, the, there, and then the, on the web is like, I just couldn't even imagine it. I, it's yeah. So, I mean, that was, we were, we were splitting rooms. We just, we split everything that year. did it as cheap as possible. I think I, I barely broke even on the web. So we definitely lost some money. And then the second year when he got my card, I think he only made like 20 grand. So, like that's not going to pay the bills. And then, uh, you know, even rookie year on tour was pretty slim. Uh, and since that point we've, we've done pretty well, but he put in some real lean years, uh, for, you know, for it to be good times now. Um, but he was willing to stick it out. He, I think he, he always believed in me more than I probably believed in myself when I was younger. And, uh, now that we're kind of, you know, on the same page, but he, he put in his time. That's for sure. He didn't just pop up when, when things were going well, which is exactly what he told me, you know, six years ago. Is it, are there any uh, tournaments that you like or rounds that shots that you always look back and think about? Gino does it all the time. I don't. I, the more I've played, the better I've got at my career, the less I've done that. I mean, I remember shots like in high school and junior golf, I hit way more than I do like, oh man, that was a sweet golf shot I hit under the pressure out here. Like, um, the saying it my first time really I wasn't in contention at John Deere, but it was my second year. Um Michael Kim was winning by seven or eight or something, so it wasn't even in the golf tournament, but it was you know, second place was a huge deal and hitting the left bunker on eighteen on the uh at the John Deere and I'm not a great fairway bunker player and I had the worst lie. It was below my feet and I had to hit a big hook and um I was like, Gino, should we just lay it up and make five? You know, like just trying to protect like a fifth or sixth or something and He's like, man, like let's let's go for like let's let's pull this thing off. I hit probably the best shot. I mean, probably the best shot I've ever hit. 
um, hit this big sweeping hook that went, you know, I thought I actually was fly. It came up like 40 feet short, but under the gun, it was an unbelievable golf shot. Um, and it was one of those we kind of high-fived each other. Like, did that just actually happen? Um, and then, you know, he had the two-putted still, which barely snuck that one in. But um, I remember some stuff from high school that was like, man, I can't believe I've never hit that shot now that I, like, pulled off through the trees. And, you know, it was kind of fun stuff like that when it obviously didn't nearly matter as much. But um, Gino's really good at recalling every shot. If it scared him to death or if he thought I was being an idiot and still let me do it or or times that, you know, he gave me some bad numbers as well, which I remember those. Uh, I mean, as a, as a caddy, pro, I mean, it's harder, I think, watching golf than playing golf. Like if you're if you're caddying for somebody or you're oh, it's like way watching a friend, it's just it's like nerve wracking to watch. I caddied for Gino two, three years ago now in the U.S. Mid-Am qualifier. Um, I knew he was like a two for sure. If he played well, he would be right there. You know, it's a small section of Idaho. There's not many guys there, and he's one of the better players. And I was um, not – but that was the first time I've caddied for, you know, buddies in the past and kind of goofed off and stuff. And that was like, man, I really want him to qualify for this. And he buried his first three holes. And I was just out, like, having a grand old time. Like, go- like I wasn't even caddying. I was just carrying the clubs, setting them down, and letting him do whatever. And all of a sudden, I'm like – like, you could tell that he got nervous, and then I got nervous, and then – he like made a terrible three putt bogey. I'm like, what are you doing? Like, this is like, you could just see, I couldn't handle it. And he, he was choking hard down the stretch. Uh, and I, there's nothing you can do to stop it. Like you try to give him the proper club, the proper line, you try to talk him through it. And then you can just see him like scared to hit the ball. And I'm like, is this what I look like? He's like, yeah. And I'm like, Oh crap. So being on that side of it is, is good. Um, at times as well, but, uh, thankfully he, he got it out of tough par in the last and, and qualified by one for that. But, uh, I kind of, what my wife goes through, especially when we were struggling a little bit and actually needed the money. And like, she had quit her job to travel with me on tour and like the pressure she's feeling, not so pretty, but the nerves, like she, all she does is love me and support me. And she has to watch this like go down. So that, that's gotta be super hard. And I'm glad that. I'm playing and not watching because that'd be like, I can't imagine if my son be, or, you know, I don't have kids yet, but if my kids grow up to be like a great athlete or something, like watching them has got to be the worst thing in the world. Yeah. I always say, uh, so I, 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 I used to play a lot of mid-am stuff and, and I'm like a, I'm a snorkeler and you guys are nuclear subs. So like if I get off, <laughs> if I get off to a hot start, <laughs> My 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 snorkel tube's going under the water, and water's just gonna rush in eventually. And I'm coming up for air, and it's like you guys just go, and then you just keep going down further and further. It's like you're you guys get uncomfortable when you're around par, and it's like the ninth hole, right? And because we, we got to make birdies, we got to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and if we if we're like two under, we're like, oh, I better protect this two under, three under. You know, right, exactly. Too far under here. Uh, that's there is a there's a line for everybody whatever it is i mean like you feel you feel uncomfortable at some point and uh it's not like you automatically like tiger's the only one who's like just broke through but i guarantee you he's still nervous and felt uncomfortable at times but you know he's he battled through it where that was a thing for me is like once i realized that the guys around me in contention i don't care if it's rory or rom or whoever dude they're nervous too mm-hmm. and they're 
like they're playing for I'm playing for money and you know it'd be great to win a couple times and playing for kind of career. They're playing for like a legacy type thing of winning all these tournaments and winning majors and building that like Hall of Fame career type thing. They're just as nervous as as I am and they care about it just as much and they're I wouldn't say worried about it, but they're you know, they get they get nervous over the same golf shots I do. So, you know, kinda they put on their pants the same way we do type of thing. But that was a good lesson for me as well. It's like, damn. Like they're worried about this T shot same as everybody else is. So, you know, it should help the lesser players or the guys not as well known, like suck it up and get it done. How how much did that you talked about that deer finish where you, you it was like a one of your first top ten, top five finishes. How much did that help you the next time you were in that area? It, like, because then you went like last summer, you went on, you had just a kind of a string of them where you, you know, yeah. for five weeks, you were six weeks, you were just in contention every single week. Yeah, it certainly helps. You start ex- you start expecting to see your name around there, and you want to see your name there. So you, I mean, I'm a big believer that you kind of play to whatever you think you're going to play to. If you're trying to make cuts, you're going to be around the cut line. If you're, you know, the best players always think they should be in the top 10. So that's what they do. Like, um, if you, I thoroughly believe that I, if I play solid, there's no reason I shouldn't be, you know, consistently around that top 10 point. If I play putt well, then I'm going to be around the lead. So when you start believing those things and you actually believe them and you're, you know, every, all the metrics say that you should be doing that, then, uh, there's no reason not to. So once you, um, instead of everybody has goals to go to their ceiling, everybody, but there's a floor that everybody has as well. And most people are going to end up at the floor. Not many, you know, oh, everybody wants to win this and do that or get the tour championship. But if you get, if you're like, man, I would be really bummed if I didn't finish top 50 on this year's FedEx Cup, that's probably where you're going to end up, closer to that number. So I think that wherever your floor is, if you're okay with top 25s, you're probably going to finish top 25s. If your floor is top 10s, you're probably going to find a way to do that as well. So um, you start of, you know, when seeing your name up there, you start to feel more comfortable, you get more comfortable around the cameras. Um, honestly, as well, when you start making more money, like you don't worry about making money as much. Um, it's a huge deal when you're like all of a sudden maybe like at RIV this year for me. I was in the fairway on 18. I thought I was one back at the time. Thought I needed to make birdie. Had a great drive, and I went after the back left pin at Riv because I thought I needed to make a three. I didn't realize Scott had birdie seventeen. I don't think he had yet actually. And I was like, man, like this is my chance. And all of a sudden, like I lift out like a five footer for par, which would have kept me T two, but I missed it. I dropped down to T five. And in the past, I've been like, oh my god, like I maybe would have hit a nine hundred thirty feet out to the right and two putted to save you know, whatever it was, two or $300,000. But for me, it was more important to go after the W and, you know, stand up to it and, and hit the golf shot that, that was required at the time. So I, I felt better about it than I ever have at that point. And, you know, so those guys who have all the money in the world will never have a, a money problem. Like they're so easy to freewheel it and go after some golf shots down the stretch that a lot of guys are maybe just protecting for par and just kind of hanging on to that T5 type of thing. Um, so that matters a lot as well. It's interesting to think about from like the mentality standpoint, because once once you play on tour long enough and have enough success, the money aspect becomes not there's not as much pressure associated to the money as there is to the finish. Right. To the just the exactly. competition. Right. Exactly. that. No, you're totally right. It's um, and for me, the first time in my career where I've 
I mean, I finished second a couple times, but I really had a chance to win. Like, I had a putt to tie the lead on 17. I had a good, you know, the par five, whatever. So I had a chance to tie the lead on 17. I had never felt that before. Um, and that was a big moment, but I felt okay there. Like, I felt like, oh, this is, you know, I can do this. Um, 18, striped to drive. I was willing to go after it. And because I was okay if I screwed up and made bogey, like, I was okay with it. Um, and that's a hard place to get. Um, you know, I don't have massive endorsements off, off, off the course i don't have um i'm not pulling in those type of figures and you know i've been a journeyman forever um you're 32 that's not journeyman well compared to what you see now you have like morikawa and you have wolf and you have even like ricky and jt and these like it's weird i i don't know like it's mind-boggling to me you know they just come out at 22 23 24 they're signing million dollar deals and they're winning majors and they're cruising it and like that's great you know they are the top 10 in the world but um i think i feel like it's it's, it's there's been like this recent phenomenon that's like shifted the like you think about like kevin kisner kevin kisner right. didn't get on tour until he was like 27 28 and he yep. was like a great player in college but i think there's also something about if you're one of the guys that does everything pretty well but you're not like just like really long or have a really dominant skill that it's going to take longer to get there because absolutely, you know, every skill has got to get a little bit better, right? Yeah. You know, you're, you're totally right. Like, unless you're, you know, Mark, how is um, like probably the best ball striker on tour. If not, you know, he's for sure top five in the way he just appears all the time. So he doesn't have to putt great where Wolf is a bomber type of thing. Or you have these other guys where um, they have these unbelievable skills or they hit it super far so they can make up for a lack of this somewhere along the way where, I think Kisner's guy is pretty similar. He's a way better putter than I am, um, but he's pretty steady, not overly long, um, hits it pretty solid all the time. When he putts well, he's he's competing, and he can win those big events. You know, he can compete at the players and and win WGCs, and um, you'll see him. You know, he's been around the majors as well. So, yeah, he's certainly like he's he's a guy that I think he's only maybe two or three years older than me, so I can see a lot of myself in him where. Um, if I shore up the putting, it'd be a lot like him, like you said. So, for I had to improve a little bit on everything over the course of five, six years to get out on tour, where a lot of these guys already have two or three skills that are good enough um, to get out there, and they can kind of mask their weaknesses a little bit because they're so dominant in one area, which is driving the ball mostly now. The way you can drive a golf ball and overpower a golf course, if you hit it far and straight, you can get away with a lot of stuff. Yeah, it's like Champ is so long that he's just going to run into a win every year. You're yeah, he can if he drives the ball consistently like he does and then all of a sudden he hits a couple irons close and he puts it decent, he can't not win a, a once or twice a year. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, he just has too big of an advantage. It's the only way to get through uh it's crazy. I mean, I work at home so I'm really used to it, but it's, sure. It's just like the fact that you like can't touch anything is just crazy to me. It is, yeah. Uh, it's like for me. Luckily, I can just sit at home and kind of do nothing. We have everything we need here, but uh, my wife's going a little stir crazy, so she's been having a couple extra sips of wine at night. That's for sure to 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 get away from it all. Sometimes we start a little early in the afternoon, but it's when it's eighty degrees outside. You want to sit on your patio? It's not too bad. Yeah, it's I, I don't know. It's going to be crazy to see when when you guys come back. Yeah, it's going to be wild too. I think. 
sounds like it anyways. So hopefully it's sooner rather than later. I, they should, I, honestly, they should be sending like five cameramen and you guys should be doing like matches in Scottsdale. And they could So we've talked about that and we almost had one kind of going. They put us in lockdown. Of course, they're still open. We thought about doing a simulator match. Uh, Scottsdale guys get five Scottsdale guys against five guys in Jupiter and have Scottsdale against Jupiter. And then you could do maybe the winner of that would play like the Vegas team and then maybe a team in Dallas or something like that where you play indoors simulator, but you just put a camera up and you just crap talk each other back and forth on a simulator. You could, there's no reason you couldn't Max and I couldn't go and have a match right now at Mesa country club or wherever with have a cameraman follow us around and mic us up and have a blast. I know, but it's, uh, I, I think the tour, they could, you know, that's what they should be thinking about. Cause like no other sport, and it's like golf, like you could do all these cool little things that are totally, especially if you walk, you just, there's no, the pins or whatever you put a, a styrofoam thing in the cup. So you don't have to touch the pins. You don't have to touch a break mm-hmm. six feet apart. is so easy on a golf course. Um, yeah, I'm surprised something hasn't come up. I know there's been a couple ideas floated, but nothing has definitely stuck. That's for sure. I, I think like one of the things I think about is like if it worked really well, people would want more of it and it would take away from 72 hole, 144 player stroke play, which is like the bread and butter. And they wouldn't want to show a format of the game that was was better when the main thing is maximize playing opportunities. Right. Sure. And I get that, too. And I know Tiger and Phil kind of tried the match thing and that was a big flop. Um, they weren't as entertaining as it could be. The golf was crappy. Uh, the whole thing didn't work out very well. So See, I, I imagine but- that I don't know if that was a flop because I went to all my buddies are not golfers. Like they're just like my college drinking buddies. And Fair. they like I went out after that because I had to cover it. And um, I went out and met my buddies and all of them were like, what would happen in the match? What, who won? You know, and they they could the only thing they care about is like the masters. Right. Sure. But they were asking about the match. They were they were nuts about they wanted to know so much about they never ask about anything. They don't ask about the players. They don't ask about, you know, they might ask about the U.S. Open, but nothing but the match they asked about. I think it's because it's so easy to understand. Well, it is certainly that I think I guess we were expecting a lot more back and forth. Um, you know, kind of shit talking a little bit more side bets that were, it just seemed a little forced. Tiger's not the best in that environment either. Probably Phil's can be very good at it with the way that he can give the needle and the way that he can chat. But man, if you'd put, I mean, if you get some normal guys in there, I mean, you can like feel like Ricky and JT would be fun at it. Uh, Rory would be good at that type of thing. A little more personality. Um, Put some drinks in styrofoam cup and you're going to get a lot of fun out of a lot of golfers. I mean, you put Kiz and, you know, selfishly, you put me and Kiz against like Homa and, you know, maybe JT, those guys are buddies. Like, and you go put us like in an alternate shot match, like it would yes. be an absolute blast. Like, you could be ahead too and you guys exactly. be talking about like what the other per- person's doing. You wouldn't really need announcers as much if it was alternate shot. Totally. I know. Mean, well, like, cause you could just skip ahead. You don't even really watch your partner. You just keep rotating ahead. You could play in like two hours. You would have an absolute blast. And, uh, I mean, I, we do that stuff here anyways with somebody. So, um, 
we played a game called Auto Two Down Shotgun. So if you got two down, you had a shotgun of beer, um, and that was that was a pretty fun game. So we're trying to set set another one of those matches up uh, this weekend, I think. <laughs> That's one. You know, some people. I, I used to care for this guy. He would. He was like. He was just. He was unbelievable because once he got like six beers in, he was. He went from like a six to like a plus two. That's awesome. He, I mean, yeah. he, like, he'd have two beers, and then like the the course would come around the fourth hole would loop back around the men's locker room and grab two more, and then we get to the turn, and then he was like a world beater. You know, like one yep. year he won the club championship as a six handicap. And That's amazing. Getting loaded. If you if you it's all about getting your levels right. Some people only need a couple. Some people need a lot, and they got to start earlier. But then, if you cross over the line, then you're absolutely toast, and it gets really ugly fast. <laughs> so everybody has their level. Some people it's zero. Some people it's six. Some people it's ten. Some people it's only a couple. But everyone has their line where they play better golf from. And um, did you qualify for something after drinking at Sciota? <laughs> yeah, it was. So it was US, this year's year or last year for Pebble Beach. Uh, I was doing just fine. Uh, I bogeyed two of my last like four at Sciota to get, which I thought was going to bump me out. I knew if I part in, like I was, I would have it. Um, I looked at the leaderboard, completely choked because I wanted to play in the US Open at Pebble so bad. Like that was a huge deal for me, and uh, choked. So then we we're at the we we're at Sciota and the home course was open, so we had to drive back. And then I was one of the earlier tee times. So we had like an hour to wait. And I was like positive that we, I had got bumped out already. But then they're like, hey, there's a playoff. Probably there'll be a massive playoff for like the last, for, for an alternate spot. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Well, I don't really care. And some guy's like, no, you need, like, you should, you should play in it. I'm like, okay. Well, so Gina and I, we have an hour to wait. So we go grab a couple of beers. Um, and then. We drank them and then we grabbed a couple more and all of a sudden it's like, all right, uh, just let me know. We have like a 12. We had an 11 for one for the first alternate playoff. And somebody's like, dude, you know, the first, this is the first alternate site and they always hold a couple spots. Like you're, if you win this playoff, you're guaranteed to get in. And I was like, oh, okay. I hadn't balled an hour. So I was drinking beer on the range, like kind of whacking balls. And guys, like one of the other players was like, dude, you can't be doing that. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I was like, is against the rules like i didn't i was kind of playing dumb whatever and so usga guy he didn't care so anyway i make like a 30 footer on the first hole to make birdie and to have there's only one other guy made birdie so then we went to the next hole uh and i made par and he made bogey and i was the first alternate video us open and got in like two weeks later or a week later i guess so it's pretty awesome that's funny we but, just we just did this vignette on uh on Sandy Lyle on my other pod. And he had mm-hmm. the same thing happen where he finished this uh, event in like the 80s really early on the European tour. And he shot a good score and he thought he was going to be in the top 10. So he's having a glass of wine. He ended up having like four glasses of wine. The weather got bad. And and Seve like completely blew it down the stretch. He ended up in a playoff against Seve. And on the first hole, he canned like a 35-footer after four, four glasses of wine to to win he's like that's know. awesome yeah i think it's i mean obviously that doesn't happen very often because that doesn't class but there's beer in the locker room for us on sunday so like it's easy to go in there and grab a beer real quick and and have a couple um so i wouldn't i'm sure it's happened 
four times than people would ever imagine that that somebody who posted early would have a couple pops before they went back out. Yeah, I mean, it's like the it's almost like Sunday is like your Friday for everybody Absolutely. else. Like it's like okay, you're exactly right. I'm done with the work week. I could I can hang out for a while. It's like Friday afternoon. Exactly. Most of us have Mondays off, uh, travel day for us. So we, by the time we're Tuesday roll around, we're back and ready to roll. So Sundays are a favorite day for everybody on tour. Most people. Hey, so tell me about your limited practice theory. I'm interested in this. Well, it's probably a little over one. I do practice. Um, I grew up at a place with a bad driving range. Um, and a very, like not even a chipping area type thing. So I did all my practice on the golf course. Um, I was lucky that no one was out there in the evenings. I could just cruise down. And so I got used to practicing on the golf course. Well, so I'm not a range rat. I never really had a coach until, you know, a real serious one until I got on a web tour where I work with him all the time. And we just, my swing doesn't change much. I can always hit it. As soon as I set up correctly, my swing comes back and five or 10 balls and then I'm good to go. So. And I've always been a pretty good ball striker, and I can, um, so, and I, I hate practicing putting, man, and that's probably the only thing I need to practice, but I just can't stand, like, hitting putts over and over again. That just drives me nuts. So, um, I'm not a range rat. Like, sometimes, there's been times on Thursday, I'll ask Gino where the range is. Like, I haven't been to the range yet until Thursday warming up. So, um, I'm trying to get better at it, just, like, consistently being a little bit more, consistent at practicing but yeah there's times i won't have seen the practice. i'll just show up on tuesday play nine play my windsor pro-am and be, be off so um i don't spend any time after the round hitting balls uh i'm tired normally after i play 18 holes so i just kind of go back home but i'll play a lot when i'm home i love playing with the buddies and hanging out and um but when i do see coach my coach robert shell he's head of instruction here at tpc scottsdale and uh, he's incredible. He's fun. He understands me. Like he's, he, he played on tour in early 2000s, European tour, um, couple of us opens. He was a crazy grinder. Like all he did was practice like all day, every day, everything was dedicated to golf. And he understands with me, like we're at the players this year. He flew out for a couple of days. He's like, Hey, what are you going to do Wednesday? And I'm like, maybe play nine. And he's like, you don't even just, just go goof off for nine holes and be done. Like you're in a good, your game's in a good spot. Um, the best thing you can do is go home and relax and, and, you know, kind of get my mind right. So for me, I do better when I'm refreshed, when I'm not wasting time with the golf course, hitting a bunch of balls and practicing a ton. And, um, I do practice plenty and I, a lot when it's with Rob, it's structured and we go, we practice for a couple hours, but I get burned out after a couple hours practicing. I can't, I can't think about golf that long and be you know 100 percent into it i guess there's a the duvall had a theory that if he's hitting it good he doesn't want to go mess anything up and if he's hitting it bad he doesn't want to go reinforce anything bad so like why spend a ton of time i mean i think that i'm kind of the same way it's like if i go to the range i'm more likely to just screw myself up if i'm playing well if i'm playing well it's fine if i have like okay i gotta go hit 30 balls with correct alignment and, you know, feel, feel what club faces and, and get that. Then I can go through that in a bag of balls real quick and be just fine. Like, same thing. If I'm hitting it well, I definitely am not going to the range. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I like chipping. I like some time with bunker play and goofing off there. And I've improved that a ton the last couple of years. Um, but everything I have to do has to be competitive. I bet Gino 
you know, hey, on, on any type of wedge shot or, or chipping or anything, it's like, hey, you got five balls, can you do this with it? Um, I have to stay really competitive when I practice, otherwise it just gets so bland. Um, so whatever, and I, I, I like practice with buddies. If we're going to go out and have a chipping contest, whatever it is, that, that's great. Um, but I, I play way more than I practice. I think um, you're right. I always have said that setting up to the ball is the hardest thing in golf. Absolutely. If you can set up correctly with the proper alignment for whatever you're trying to do, it's different for everybody. But whatever you play best at, if you can do that consistently, then your swing never, your swing doesn't really change. Your alignment changes and your maybe your posture changes a little bit and that stuff. And then your then your swing changes because your setup's off, not because your swing is changing. So I think that's the biggest thing for most everybody. All right, uh, last question. We'll get you out of here. So, you know, quick one. When do you think, if you were going to guess, you're coming that the tour's coming back, and what would you like to see them do with given the circumstances? Do you just like do you wipe the year clean? Do you do you do like a truncated thing where it, it uh, you're into the playoffs right away, or do you go deep into the year, you know, and and you have a shorter season next year? This is a very tough question. Um, they, I think, I think what they should do, if we can start on time, which I think is like mid-May right now, I think we're on supposed to be a colonial. I highly doubt that's going to happen. Um, you know, based on everything else, it's already been canceled months past that. You know, I think things are getting canceled in, in uh, June and July already. So um, maybe just roll the year over. Um, I know there's rumors of them, uh, even like the playoffs. So like I've heard the rumors of the tour championship could be 144 players, just a full field that let everybody play. Um, if it, if this, if this delay happens for you can't throw out the previous result. You can't throw out the previous 27 events. I think you just roll over the tournament year and make it like a year and a half long deal, um, okay, and play yeah. it that way. I think that that's the fairest way. Because people who have played great get to continue to play great. People that play bad, you get a whole nother chance at it. It really stinks for the Corn Ferry players who have maybe got off to a good start because um, then they're down there for another year, and it really screws the bottom guys in the golf world. Um, the the problem with the Corn Ferry is like their season's not as long as yours, so it's like you can't give somebody a card who played well in like five events you know right they, they've played, played six events so far they would have to get off they'd have to play right away and get a lot of events in um i just i can't imagine what they're going to do or how they would make that fair um but for us tour guys i mean man we've we've already played what 20 events or something or the possibilities out there i know some guys have only played like eight or nine but um it's crazy because like the fall has become so big now that it's, right exactly it's, it's weird that you're like almost three quarters of the way through the season in a, right like halfway actually but and it's too bad we've missed every like quote-unquote big event we've missed the four majors and the players didn't get finished and so you know you feel like the golf league doesn't even start until now almost is what a lot of guys you know feel like kind of maybe riv kicks off the season and you go through florida but um i'm just super happy i don't have to make the decision because whatever it is people are going to be really happy and really unhappy um i don't know about it i'm I'm pretty good at sitting back and letting people make their decisions and either way you got to live with it and you got to make the best of it. So, um, I just hope that, you know, everyone like everyone else, I hope this is goes away sooner rather than later. I hope everyone stays healthy and, um, 
you know, I hope the economy is okay after all this. I, that's a whole other world to, to go down. But uh, I just hope that everything comes out okay. And when it, I really, really think that the world needs sports. So if you think about major moments that we've had <clears throat> in the past, like sports brings people together. It gives them a relief, an, an outlet. So, you know, I remember after 9-11, Bush threw out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium, and it was like a, this amazing moment. Yeah. Um, it was like united, like this, as divided as a country is, whether you're black, white, purple, or you're leaning left or leaning right, like it doesn't, this doesn't really matter at this point. We just need to do the right thing for the, for everybody around us and whatever that is, do it. And then whatever, if we can get NBA to go to Vegas and play their, their games and just stick everybody in a hotel where they're isolated and play a game. And I'm sure they have the resources to figure that out. No fans, obviously. I think golf could play with no fans. It would be limit the volunteers. You wouldn't have people in the locker room play out of, you know, like go mini tour style, play out of the trunk of our cars. I've you know, bring your own food. You could have better um, coverage and better competition without fans. Yeah. I I mean, you could do so much stuff. Well, and then no grandstanding. It, yeah, sure. I mean, there's uh <laughs> you would get a lot of, it would be different, but I think that you would still get great competition. The players would still play and it would be, I think it'd be great. So, I don't care who comes back, but we need sports somewhere somehow to have an outlet for, you know, we can only watch so many old school classics before, you know, those kind of run out as well. So I don't care what it is. I don't care if NBA or baseball or somebody figure out a way to get sports back in the world. So people have an an outlet. I don't care if it's golf or not, but some type of sports somewhere. Yeah. I like your idea of the season and a half. I think that makes actually a ton of sense. I've been thinking about it. It's like, I've, I've always said, just wipe it and start over, but it doesn't, it's not really fair to somebody having a great year. Yeah, I mean, you got Sung Jam is leading the FedEx Cup. You got a guy like me who's off to a pretty good start. Um, you got guys like, you know, who who maybe won for the first time or something like that. You, like, you can't wipe that out. So I think you just carried over. And the other, you can't just move the season ahead because then you're these these fall tournaments. You can't just you know, oh, we're gonna play the Masters in where Vegas is. Like, I mean, you can do that, but like, that'd be terrible. You can't. So I say you just roll it over. I don't know what they do with the past events that didn't work out. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. But uh, get everybody a fair shot. Let them just kind of continue where they're at. And um, and you'll see more big names play in spots they don't usually play. Whatever first tournament that comes back is could be the greatest field in history. Like, can you imagine if John it's like, like the John Deere and everybody's just – I mean, you have like – it's better than the player's field or something. It would just be mind-boggling what would, what would come back. So – Maybe it's a barbersaw or something like that. It would just be awesome to watch players play. Um, Tiger comes back to the Quad Cities and plays for the first time since he uh, since Ed Fiore took him down in '96. Is that a real story? That's yeah. awesome. I'm gonna have to look into that. Oh, it's a it's a great story. He called he 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 was he was talking about retiring golf from golf the week before and uh, captaining a charter boat, and then the next week he beat Tiger. And then the next, in, in a final round, Tiger had the lead in a final round. Next guy to beat Tiger was Y.E. Yang in that wow. situation. So, kind That's of cr- so yeah. awesome. Yeah, the Tiger killer. Where we need a, we need is, where is Ed Fiore now? That's what we need. He's, he, <laughs> I did a flashback Friday on Ed Fiore, so I know. But he, he, he just is like hanging out at a pool uh, in his house. Says That's his awesome. wife calls him the pool boy now. <laughs> Good for him. Well, uh, that's so awesome. All right. I think that'd be fun, whatever it may be. I hope it, I hope it all works out in the end. 
Yeah. Hey, uh, thanks for the uh, time. People can follow you on Twitter. You're active there. And uh, yep. hopefully everybody's got a new player to root for. So I hope so. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Andy. I appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. I'll hopefully see you in a, in a few months when this thing gets uh, gets going again. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it for sure. All right. All right. Take care. Thanks, man. You bet. 